First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. We're seeing faith and courage lived out, and we're also seeing boldness. I'm hearing story after story after story of these Ukrainians who've lost everything, and they're going in there preaching the gospel. Coming up now, you'll meet Don Parsons, who's been on the scene in Poland since the start of this year's war in Ukraine, helping thousands of refugees. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepard. Looking forward to sharing what Don has learned with you. We'll start the conversation in a moment. This weekly program is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company and is here to share the stories of people whom God is using to build His kingdom. Through the years, we've produced hundreds of interviews, and they're all available online at firstpersoninterview.com. If you enjoy this interview format, take time to scan the list and listen. You can download them easily by using our free smartphone app, First Person Interview. Since Russia's devastating attack on Ukraine many months ago, Don Parsons of Mission Eurasia has been on the ground in Poland, assisting refugees who immediately started pouring over the border. I was able to see Don's work firsthand back in May, but on a brief visit back to the States more recently, I talked with him and we began with that faithful day back in February. Obviously, February 24th was quite the day, the day that Russia invaded Ukraine. And where were you at the time? Uh, At that time, I was in Istanbul, Turkey. And I was training, believe it or not, Russian pastors and leaders. Yeah, We were there gathered together to to um, prepare Russians for cross-cultural ministry around the world, reaching unreached peoples. Mm-hmm. And we woke up on the 24th in the morning, and I come downstairs, and I see a lot of, of our Russian pastors and their wives are in tears oh. over what's just happened. Oh, yeah, that had to be a very emotional time for everybody. It was really, really difficult. Um, a lot of our Russian friends, they have relatives that are in Ukraine, a lot of the Russian pastors and church planters over the last couple of decades in Russia, mm-hmm. we call them Russian, they're actually ethnic Ukrainians who yeah. were sent there in the 80s and 90s. And That's a good point, because we day. as Americans see this as black and white, you know, it's all this or that, and it's really a, a complex situation. It's very it? complex yeah. in that regard. And a tragic sure. situation, too. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really grieve over the death and destruction and all the suffering that's taken place there. But uh, what happened to you after that initial day of invasion? Well, obviously, I came home, back to the United States. I live in Detroit, Michigan. Um, And about 10 days later, I got a phone call from Sergei Rehuba, a good friend of both of ours. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's my boss and uh, with Mission Eurasia. And he said, Don, I'd like you to consider and pray about going over to Poland to help us as we're responding to this refugee need, these millions of refugees that were pouring into Poland find ways to help meet their needs. Physical needs, yes, but also their spiritual and emotional needs to provide care for those that were hurting. Now, you're no stranger to cross-cultural ministry, so the idea of going to Poland, I mean, that was okay for you, right? Well, yeah. (laughs) I don't speak Polish. We lived overseas for a long time and uh, lived in Ukraine and actually in Kazakhstan, so I speak Slavic, I speak Russian language. How about Ukrainian? Uh, I do speak some Ukrainian. I understand a good bit of Ukrainian, but I typically respond in the Russian language when I'm speaking to people. Okay. So... You said yes, obviously, to going, uh, not knowing exactly what was going to happen, did you? I mean, 
those early days of the war, the refugees are pouring over the border. Uh, I, what, what was that like for you? Cross-cultural ministry in general is typically a, a, a ministry where you have to be flexible. It's, it's work where you don't necessarily know what's coming the next day, yeah. let alone the next hour, the next few minutes. But in a war context, the situation was so fluid, you really had no idea. You'd wake up in the morning and you find out what you're going to be doing that day as the day progresses. Yeah. Uh, going over to a refugee center in downtown Warsaw, uh, where there's three, 4,000 refugees on cots going in there and just asking the Lord, what are we going to do? Who are we going to talk to? How are we going to help different people that are, that are in this place person by person by person, ne- laying next to each other, or sitting next to each other on these cots? Yeah. You just don't know how you're going to help and what doors the Lord is going to open, and you just ask Him for wisdom and direction. And you found some partners to carry on the ministry to these refugees. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, that's the way Missionary Asia works. Uh, we really don't work, as it were, as as independent entities, always working in partnership. And we work in partnership, in tandem, alongside, or maybe even under the national church. And uh, there are Ukrainian churches in Poland, and uh, these Ukrainian churches were mostly planted in the last five or six years largely as a result of the first war when mm. Russia invaded in, in 2014 in 2014 yeah. the Crimean annexation and the Donbas region and a lot of refugees came out and churches ended up being planted and they're mostly planted uh, alongside of uh, Polish churches and so the church that we're partnering with personally the one that we're directly connected to in Warsaw is a Ukrainian Baptist church. It meets on Sunday afternoon in the same building as the Polish church. And when the war started, the church probably had 200 people attending before, just before the war started. Mm-hmm. And within just a few weeks, the church was up to five or 600 mm-hmm. people attending every week, yeah. just the church service. And I was able to visit there in May with you and others. And by that time, I mean, things were full-fledged uh, refugee center yeah. ministering to these refugees through that church, the Ukrainian right. Baptist Church there. Yeah. The church grew. Uh, I understand other churches have come have sprung out of that. Is that true? That's right. That's right. Uh, when we saw it, a church with 600 people, but only enough seats for about 400 or maybe 450, you immediately think to yourself, how are we going to serve the needs of believers? Because that's the ones who are coming at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So we thought, well... If we can do some church plants, we go out, uh, have it in different locations, and then we can even have more capacity for reaching those who don't know Christ. And so, um, out of that church alone, two new church plants have been established just in the last few months. That's amazing. One just a few weeks ago. I was at the dedication of that service, Salvation Church. Cerca Spasienia. Yeah, I saw some pictures online of that. Yeah. It looked incredible. We'll talk more about the ministry of, of the Ukrainian uh, church there in Warsaw. But just generally, the Polish people, um, did it surprise you the way they opened their country and their hearts? And, and is that continued now, now that it's dragged on for months and there's no end in sight? The answer to your first question, for sure. Uh, the Polish people were very, very welcoming and continue to be welcoming of the Ukrainian refugees. They opened up their homes. You had Polish people who would go down to the border uh, in their cars. Uh, They would put up signs and said, we can drive you to wherever you need to be driven to or uh, housing available. They were offering rooms in their own homes and their apartments and so forth. Sounds wonderful. Uh, They were offering food, um, anything that they could do to try to help the Ukrainian people. Mm -hmm. And... um, uh, it, it, 
it was it was amazing just to see that warmth. They were so appalled and continue to be so appalled at the invasion of Russia of Ukraine, and they have that shared link with Ukraine. There's an ethnic connection. There's historical connections. Ukraine. Part of Ukraine was Polish territory many, many years ago, and there's a real kinship there. Um, the Polish people receive them, but it, they're still very accepting of Ukrainians, but it's getting old. Mm. You know, we're four and How a half. How many? Three million Ukrainian refugees into Poland or th- more? More. Three, more. To, three to four. It's hard to know exactly okay. exactly the numbers, but it's three to four. So that's putting a lot of stress on the Polish yeah. uh, uh, economy, I would imagine, oh. and and uh, just everyday life in, in places like Warsaw and Krakow. Absolutely. Um, you know, here we are in Warsaw, and the population of one city increased by 15% in about three months. Whoa. 15% increase. Uh, hundreds of thousands of new residents in one city alone. Just imagine the strain on the public transportation, on the public services. Um, and most of those people don't have the funds and the means to care for themselves. So they're asking for help from the from government, from people, from entities uh, like yeah. ours and so forth. So it is a real stretch, a real, real difficult thing for, for them to do. Going back to your earlier question. The Polish people are still accepting, but it's it's just getting it's getting difficult. Um, you sense sometimes some tension from people. It's you're beginning to take our jobs. Uh, costs are starting to go up. Um, uh, housing costs, renting an apartment has has gone up by ten, twenty percent, mm-hmm. even thirty percent in some places, and the Polish people have to pay that new price as well. Yeah. How long before uh, Mission Eurasia and you were our man on the scene there? But how long before we were able to really reach out and provide the the food and the and the scripture distribution that's been so effective? When did that kick into gear? Well, in Poland, um, in Ukraine, it kicked in almost immediately. Um, you know, our teams in Ukraine, uh, they, they evacuated their wives and their children out of the country and, uh, our men stayed in country. I don't know if you remember this, but men, the ages of 18 to 60 were not allowed to leave the country. And so the Mission Eurasia men stayed in Ukraine. They helped mobilize three, 400 churches within the first few weeks to start distributing food all over the country. It's always impressed me. They didn't hunker down. No, and, and do nothing. They turned right around and served uh, fellow victims of this That's war, right. didn't they? Yeah, mobilizing those churches, mobilizing thousands of volunteers based on the um, or, or accessing the resources and the connections and the relationships of partnerships over the years of Mission Eurasia ministry throughout all of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful thing to see. I think our numbers are up to eighty-two thousand yeah, food packages have been distributed all around Ukraine and actually even in in Poland. And an update, it's now over 100,000 food packages. We'll continue with Don in a moment on First Person. I'm Ed Cannon. The Far East Broadcasting Company partners with First Person because we celebrate the stories of people everywhere who have given their lives to Christ and serve Him. Our broadcasters in 50 countries of the world hear stories every day of people whose lives are transformed by the gospel and who have faithfully been taught God's Word. In addition to First Person, I'm pleased that Wayne and I host a podcast, and we invite you to join us. Listen to Until All Have Heard at febc.org. That's febc.org. 
My guest is Don Parsons of Mission Eurasia. Don has been on the scene in Poland helping with Ukrainian refugees there for months now. Uh, what's ahead for you? You've been away from your family. Your family's in Detroit, and I know you've been coming back to the, to, uh, to the States when you could for special events like graduations, and uh, you had a new grandchild born recently. But what, what's, what's the future going to hold now? Well, thankfully, my wife has been able to join me, but in comparison to uh, nearly three months that I've been there, she's only been there for two weeks. So it's not been a lot. Right. Um, But thankfully, I've been able to come home some and see my family, that beautiful, beautiful new grandbaby, (laughs) number two. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, my youngest graduating from uh, from high from high school, homeschool high school, uh, she's heading to college. And at that point, Esther and I are looking at going back for a longer period of time, going together this time. So okay. we're really excited for that that uh, potential that's in front of us right okay. now. All right, now let me back up the story and talk about how has God prepared you for this assignment? What have you been doing in these years leading up to this uh, this present work? It's mm, a good question, Esther and I. Um, we're called into ministry back in the early 90s when the Soviet Union had just collapsed and God had put it on our hearts to go into cross-cultural missions. We met at Bible College, got married, uh, went on a short-term missions trip to Ukraine, specifically to Ukraine. Did you? We went to Zaporozhia, which is the the birthplace of our good friend, right. Sergei yeah. Dehuba. I've never been able to visit there, but I've heard so much about it. We, I was there with a male quartet from Bible College, and we went down there, and we were sharing the gospel for about a month. And one of the stories that always sticks out in my mind uh, is a story going into a village with a pastor from the city. We shared the Jesus film. We sang multiple songs. We we sang in Russian, even though we didn't understand it. We were just using <laughs> transliteration, right? Phonetic, yeah. 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 Um, shared our testimonies, and a large number of people in that city gave their lives to Jesus. They lifted their hands and said, "I, I want to pray and receive Christ." I know. We all know that you know we don't know the hearts of sure. those people, so yeah. we need to follow up. Yeah, so but something was going on. Something was going on there, and here we are. By the way, we're we're, we're standing on a platform, and behind us is a mosaic of Lenin, and we're <laughs> preaching the gospel of Jesus. I love it. Um, but we asked the pastor, you know, we're going to need to follow up with these people. Who are you going to send out here to follow up? This was all through translation at that time, mm-hmm. and he looked at me and he said, "Don, we don't have anyone to send out here." He says, you and Esther need to come back. You're college students at this point. We're college students at that point. We're still juniors in college at that point. And uh, that was that probably one of those key first steps or first uh, moments of call, Mm -hmm. you might say, into, into our lives towards missions. In 1997 then, so I served at a church in the Detroit area uh, as an intern and as an associate. It became a great learning ground for me. Is that Highland Park or not Highland Park Baptist Church. Okay, right. That's right. Highland Park Baptist Church. And Highland Park became our sending church. And in 1997, we were commissioned, I was ordained, and we were sent out to the field. Learned language, became church planters. God opened up the door for us to plant a church right in the city of Kiev, and that's the place where we really fell in love with the Ukrainian people. That was the time. Hmm. This was the place uh, our kids learned to walk. Our kids learned about ministry. Our 
our uh, our older oldest daughter, she became uh, someone who was involved in our children's outreaches. She herself being four and five and six years old, and mm-hmm. and Ukraine became a part of our DNA. So you can imagine when that war broke out, that that was just so devastating right. for us to to uh, to know this place that is so near and dear to our hearts has come under attack yeah. like that. But that is the very thing that's making you, I, I believe, very effective in your ministry today. You see that too. You have to see that, right? Absolutely. I mean, we just, we love the Ukrainian people. Like our, like, uh, we consider ourselves Ukrainian and we don't have any Ukrainian blood, Esther and I, at all, <laughs> but we consider ourselves totally in... in yeah. <laughs> Was it difficult to learn the Russian language? Yeah. I mean, it had to be difficult. Oh, yeah. It's a difficult language to learn, for sure. It's a humbling experience. Um, anyone who's listening who's done any kind of language learning can know that learning another language means rewiring your your mind, your brain to yeah. think and process differently. Um, and being on the field, when we first got to the field, we had two kids. Uh, our third one was born soon after arriving there. And my wife calls it a real desert experience. Mm-hmm. You have your Bible college degree at that point, Bible college uh, you have your education, your experience, you've been sent to the field, churches are supporting you, and then you can't understand a toddler. You, you, <laughs> you speak like a little baby yourself, practically. Mm-hmm. And, um, such a difficult thing to go through, but it's worth the sacrifice yeah. to learn the language so that you can speak to the heart of the people. Yeah. How many missionaries have been telling us that lesson for how many years? Oh, yeah. yeah it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I want you to reach back and um, help us get into the mind of these victims. I mean, it's hard to imagine what they've gone through when they lose their home. And as I heard you say recently in a meeting, you know, there's no home insurance. There's no insurance for the loss of a house. It's devastating. So you talk with these people every day. Yeah. Uh, help us understand how to empathize with them and what we can do. Well, as you know, Wayne, being involved in Mission Eurasia yourself, our ministry center was destroyed uh, in the in Erpin, which is a suburb of Kiev, a number of months ago. And for us, that was just so devastating to lose a place that's the that was the heartbeat or the center where Missionary Asia ministry flowed from. Uh, thousands of people, young people trained there, uh, a warehouse where we had Bibles and literature and different kinds of resources for ministry, a place where people could gather for meals and a dormitory and offices and so forth. Well, right down the street from that, office was also a home of a dear pastor friend of mine. His name is Pastor Alex and his wife Irina, just wonderful, wonderful people. And their house went through the same destruction as our ministry center did. And when the day they shared recently that when um, on the 24th in the morning at 5 a.m., Russia sent missiles directly towards Erpin. And they heard those missiles fly over their house, right over their house, just loud rocket sounds over their house. All of the kids, uh, they have six children, and everyone lived at their house, even though they had adult kids and grandkids. They were all living at this at mm-hmm. their house at the time. So, filled, filled house. They all ran to mom and dad's room. What's going on? Mm-hmm. They got down on their knees, and they prayed together. And dad immediately knew, Alex knew what he had to do. They had to get their car. Um, pack it up and leave as soon as they possibly could. Just imagine having a home that God had provided for them miraculously, and then Dad says, each of you has two backpacks, put your most valuable things in it, and we're going to be leaving in about an hour. Gets in the car and goes. 
They left, and as I said, a few months later, that place is completely destroyed. Mm. They have no recourse. They have no insurance, um, no place to return to. And Pastor Alex said to me, you know, when we were driving away, I had this sense that God was speaking to me like he spoke to Lot, don't look back. Really? Don't look back. And uh, they drove, they went into Romania and then went over to Poland. Um, one of their daughters, uh, all it's a, they're a musician family, a mm-hmm. musical family. And uh, two of their daughters that were with them both played violin. And he said, we can only take one violin. And so the other daughter had to leave her violin behind. And for her, that violin was part of her arm. It was, it was like her hand itself, and she had to leave it behind. And it's been destroyed since. This story, this story of loss, happens again and again and again and again. And I see how Pastor Alex and Irina are, are growing in their faith as a result of this, and, and they're strong in their faith, but you have others that don't know Jesus. They don't have hope. And they're dealing with this loss. They're dealing with loss of family members, possibly others. They're dealing with loss of home, have nowhere to return to. And these are the people that we talk to on a daily basis and pray with. Um, We don't have much to offer them, except we also have everything to offer them because we can offer them hope in Jesus. I've been thinking a lot about this, Don, and and I love history, and we look back in history, and we love to tell stories of faith and courage under fire. You know, I I read everything I can get about World War II. I'm reading a book right now about a, an American woman who was sent by the British to live in occupied France uh, as a spy. You know, and those stories of faith and courage are just so inspiring. I really think that we're going to be, for decades to come, telling the stories of the Ukrainian believers yes. and the faith and courage that they're showing. We're, we're, we're seeing it play out before our very eyes right now. Absolutely, absolutely. We're seeing faith and courage lived out, and we're also seeing boldness. You know, when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7, immediately following that, a great persecution broke out against the church. And in verse 4, it says, after that, the church was scattered. And as it was scattered, it spread the word everywhere it went. I'm hearing story after story after story of these Ukrainians who've lost everything and they're going in, they're preaching the gospel. The pastor of the church that we helped to plant was evacuated to Switzerland. He has seen 22 people come to Christ in a little church plant that he's established, that Lord has helped him to establish right mm-hmm. there amongst a group of about 150 refugees at a small refugee center. He has 50, 60 people coming on Sunday to a Catholic church at two in the afternoon on Sunday. That's where they meet, just down the road, and he's preaching the gospel of Christ. Who knows what kind of impact that'll have even on the Swiss people. And how many stories like that are yet to be told? Yet to be told. That's right. Don Parsons of Mission Eurasia with his account of many months of serving Ukrainian refugees who have relocated to Poland. With no end in sight to this war, the need to care for these victims goes on. And we thank the Lord for all those who are serving as Don is, bringing not only the physical necessities, but spiritual counsel as well. Additional information about Mission Eurasia can be found at firstpersoninterview.com. There's also news about the Far East Broadcasting Company's ministry in Ukraine. Radio M, as FEBC's radio stations in that country are called, is now on the air in Kyiv. For more on this development, visit febc.org and listen to the podcast until all have heard with Ed Cannon at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. 
Thanks for listening to First Person.